You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Meowing is now a thing. The automated discovery and wiping of exposed and unprotected databases. The U.S. indicts two Chinese nationals on 11 counts of hacking and reports evidence that Chinese intelligence services are now using cyber criminals as contractors. Mike Schaub from CloudChecker on why COVID-19 has ignited modernization projects for government agencies. Joe Kerrigan on counterfeit Cisco routers. And the U.S. State Department tells China to close its consulate in Houston. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. An ongoing wave of destructive attacks, meow attacks, appears to use an automated tool to find and wipe exposed Elasticsearch and MongoDB instances. According to Bleeping Computer, there are no ransom notes, no threats, no crowing, and no explanation for the attacks. One possible explanation is that the attacks represent tough love from vigilantes pushing admins to secure their databases. But that's speculation. Meowing could represent anything from misdirection to preparation for a protection racket to an appetite for destruction to the lulls. The U.S. Attorney General for the Eastern District of Washington has secured an indictment against two Chinese nationals on 11 counts of hacking computer networks to obtain intellectual property. They are said to have cast a wide net, working against targets in 11 countries and at least 12 economic sectors. Each man faces one count of conspiracy to commit computer fraud, a maximum sentence of five years in prison, one count of conspiracy to commit theft of trade secrets, a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison, one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, 20 years max, one count of unauthorized access of a computer, a maximum sentence of five years, and seven counts of aggravated identity theft, a mandatory two non-consecutive years for each count. The investigation of the pair began when an intrusion into Department of Energy networks in Hanford, Washington, was detected, and it moved on from there. The FBI said the two worked with the Guangdong State Security Department, the GSSD, of the Ministry of State Security, while also targeting victims worldwide for personal profit. Chinese nationals have been indicted by the U.S. before in connection with espionage, but these, most famously the PLA officer with the unfortunate hacker name of Ugly Gorilla and his colleagues active against the metallurgical industry in Pennsylvania, were strictly on the government payroll, working on the PLA's dime. The indictment is therefore interesting in that it appears to represent the first case in which Chinese hackers have been indicted for both state-directed espionage and ordinary self-interested cybercrime. 
In the Department of Justice press release that announced the charges, Assistant Attorney General for National Security John C. Demers said, quote, China has now taken its place alongside Russia, Iran, and North Korea in that shameful club of nations that provide a safe haven for cyber criminals in exchange for those criminals being on call to work for the benefit of the state, here to feed the Chinese Communist Party's insatiable hunger for American and other non-Chinese companies' hard-earned intellectual property, including COVID-19 research, end quote. Russian government use of cyber criminals in its espionage and influence operations was discussed in the Intelligence and Security Committee of Parliament report rendered in the United Kingdom earlier this week, and the U.S. intelligence community has long taken notice of how mobbed up Russian cyber operations can be. But some observers see a difference in national styles. The Washington Post spoke with some professional hood watchers in think tanks and security firms, and they tended to see the Russians as winking at cybercrime as long as the gangs keep their hands off the wrong targets, that is, the domestic and connected ones, and as long as they're willing to do the official security and intelligence organs' favors when asked. The Chinese treat the criminals more like contractors and are content to let them profit on the side. In this case, while they allegedly stole trade secrets, spied on dissidents abroad, and assisted with influence operations, they also had a nice side hustle raiding Bitcoin wallets. The Justice Department thanked its international partners and the work the FBI's legal attaches did to coordinate the investigation with them. There was some international applause for the indictment, Yahoo notes, with Australian agencies, including the Australian Signals Directorate, in particular welcoming efforts to hold bad actors to account. So the two Chinese hackers each face a possible maximum of 40 years in U.S. federal prison, but since cyber criminals work locally even as they act globally, both of the accused are still in China, and so have the proverbial snowball's chance of extradition to the U.S., unless, of course, they're inattentive in their selection of international vacation spots and decide to honeymoon in a place that has a good extradition treaty with the U.S., or even a less formal willingness to cooperate with the Americans. Just ask Roman Valerich Seleznyov. He's the sometime proprietor of Carter Planet, who goes by the hacker names Track 2 and Bulba, son of a Russian Duma member and convicted hacker, now a guest at the Federal Correction Complex Butner in North Carolina, a medium security club fed. His reservation runs through 2043. In 2014, Mr. Selesnev was incautious enough to check into the Kanefushi Resort in the Maldives, where a special arrangement negotiated with the local government by the U.S. Secret Service facilitated his arrest and transportation to the U.S. So travel with care. We hear Wuhan is nice this time of year. COVID-19 has ignited necessary modernization projects for government agencies, along with the push for necessary funding to see said projects through. Mike Schaub is Information Security Manager from cloud management platform supplier CloudChecker. I think with the government, you've seen that they've struggled a bit with trying to scale up with the COVID-19 response and ran in some trouble with uh, their systems. Uh, You know, some examples of that with the your stories about the IRS looking for COBOL programmers trying to get the uh, stimulus checks uh, printed 
and the unemployment websites uh, being inundated uh, with filings and, and just struggling to even keep up. So it's, it's caused a strain, you know, due to the unprecedented issues that COVID has put forth. Where were these agencies before COVID hit in terms of uh, being uh, behind the eight ball or, or ahead of the game? Where did they stand? I think um, different agencies are, had, were different places. There, there was definitely some looking towards modernization. And then in 2017, they, they were looking forward. They put out the Modernization Government Technology Act. Um, it was signed into law. Uh, you know, it'd give uh, the ability for agencies to start setting aside some funds towards modernization. Uh, but I think you've seen agencies ha- have struggled to kind of advance the these efforts or, or get that funding because th- that did not come with funding within it. Uh, it just gave them a mechanism for, for creating funds that, so they can uh, set aside funds to, to use towards the modernization. Now, in terms of the agencies uh, reaching out to, you know, to Congress to ask for more uh, funding, are they uh, being effective in uh, in that messaging? Is is Congress uh, being receptive? Well, w- with COVID in the House and the CARES Act, we saw it was um, proposed three three billion towards modernization as part of that the CARES Act. But in in the end, it it ended up only getting close to like five hundred million of that passed towards modernization things. Um, it's coming up again with the the Heroes Act, which has um, passed the House, but uh, some doubt whether it will go beyond that. And that that ha- currently has another billion billion dollars towards modernization funding. Um, so I think COVID's helping to cause more discussion on this, but I think it may still remain to be seen if it will result in actual acceleration. And 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 one of the things too with with modernization that tends to be an ongoing thing too. So although that may give a, a boost to help with some that are far behind, the technology continues to evolve and, and change all the time. That's Mike Schaub from Cloud Checker. The Wall Street Journal says the U.S. State Department also ordered China's Houston consulate closed for its connection to espionage and influence operations. Why the Houston consulate in particular was singled out, the State Department hasn't said. Quote, the United States will not tolerate the PRC's violations of our sovereignty and intimidation of our people, just as we have not tolerated the PRC's unfair trade practices, theft of American jobs, and other egregious behavior. End quote. That was the extent of the clarification State Department spokeswoman Morgan Ortagas offered. The Chinese foreign ministry reacted with some figurative heat. Spokesman Wang Wenbin said yesterday, quote, This is a political provocation unilaterally launched by the U.S. China urges the U.S. to immediately rescind its erroneous decision. Otherwise, China will undertake legitimate and necessary responses. Quote. The Chinese foreign ministry also reacted with some literal heat. The Houston consulate burned its papers last night, click to Houston reports. The Houston Fire Department showed up, but of course couldn't enter to put the fire out, the consulate's grounds being a privileged diplomatic space, but at least they were there to keep the flames from jumping to the neighborhood. Burning your diplomatic papers is a traditional sign of either self-protection against a hostile host government or evidence of some guilty knowledge. 
You can take your pick, but whatever else they were up to, the consular staff wasn't toasting s'mores. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, Interesting story came by. This actually uh, caught my attention. It was a press release uh, from the folks at Mm F-Secure, a security company out of uh, Helsinki, Finland. And they have published some research uh, where they have been looking at some counterfeit Cisco routers. Yeah. What's going on here, Joe? So uh, their their customer uh, purchased a couple of routers, which later turned out to be counterfeit. And the way they found out that they were counterfeit routers is they updated the software, like a company should do when they have uh, these these routers. And that stopped the, the routers from working at all. Mm-hmm. So F-Secure is investigating some, or has investigated rather, some some routers that were counterfeit that were sold to a company. And the way the company found out they were counterfeit was the switches, these were switches, they stopped working when someone tried to update them. So the software wouldn't run on, on, the, on the modified switches or forged switches, right? And they mm-hmm. actually call them either modified or forged. I don't know which one it is. But... One of the things they said in here was when you find counterfeit hardware on your network, you don't know what that counterfeit hardware is doing. Right? Yeah. So you have to uh, 
to do a reverse engineering project on it. And, and that's essentially what, what F-Secure was asked to do. Uh, and what they found was there was no backdoor on the, on the hardware that they could find. And they think that the motivation for this was just, I'm just going to rip off Cisco's products and, uh, and sell, sell them for cheaper and make money, right? Yeah, so I mean, let, let's walk through some of the the, the likely uh, sort of order of operations here. That you know, I, I'm on, I'm in the market for a, a Cisco router, right? And I'm shopping around, and maybe I find a price that's lower than my my local authorized Cisco dealer, right? Because when you go out shopping for Cisco routers, you'll find that they're pretty expensive. Cisco routers and switches, you'll find that they're not cheap, right? Yeah, right. Um, no, it's an investment. It is an investment. It's an investment in uh, in the design of going with a reputable manufacturer who takes security and the operation of your network very seriously. Cisco is a great company for that. There are other companies out there that, that are similar to that. I'm not endorsing Cisco, but they do a good job. Yeah. Um, if you're out there looking around for equipment, you might be enticed to go with somebody who has a lower price point uh, and has uh, has equipment that is, as far as you're concerned, the exact same product. Yeah, and and... So you order these, they show up, everything right. looks fine, the boxes look like Cisco boxes, you open them up inside, the switches look like Cisco switches, you put them in the racks, you wire them up, data is flowing, you configure them as far as you're concerned, everything's running as normal. There's yeah. there's nothing out of the ordinary here. They're, they're functioning the way that you hoped that they would. It's all hunky-dory, right? <laughs> so, until? <laughs> until you go to update them. And something in the update process uh, stops them from working. Yeah, yeah. How do you protect against this? How do you make sure that you're not getting some bogus equipment? Uh, well, that's that's a, a good question. And F-Secure actually addresses that in this press release. The first thing they say is source all of your components from authorized resellers. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the person you're dealing with is an authorized reseller of the product of, from the company you're buying. And you can probably call the manufacturer and say, is this person an authorized reseller of your product? Because they take that relationship very seriously. Uh, I was looking at an article from back in 2008 that said, if uh, Cisco finds out or gets wind of you selling counterfeit products, you're done. They're, they're not going to deal with you anymore. You're not going to be an authorized reseller. Right. That would be a big hit to someone's business, so they're a lot less likely to uh, to sell counterfeit products. So look for that authorized reseller. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose, too, if, if you're an organization that is looking to save some money, maybe you're a nonprofit or something like that, you also have to be careful about the used market because if you were shopping around for a used Cisco router, you say, well, here's a way to save some money on a name brand device. Yeah. That could be a counterfeit unit as well. Absolutely. It could be counterfeit or modified. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things they say is that uh, make sure that everything runs the latest available software provided by the vendor. Um, I'm I'm actually kind of pleased that the software on these caused the routers to brick. That's looks that I think that might be Cisco's doing, right? That there's something in the software update that says this is not a, a legitimate piece of Cisco equipment. Uh, we're going to make it not work. Uh, that's that's good with, with me. I'm okay with that actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, it's an interesting story. Uh, you can uh, chase it down. It's, again, it's the folks over at F-Secure have published uh, their research on these fake Cisco routers. Uh, it's an interesting read. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the CyberWire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.